on the subject of miracles. And by focusing this first week on, in essence, understanding the theology behind miracles. Now I am aware that there is great controversy when it comes to speaking on a subject like miracles. In fact, there are very few doctrines that I'm aware of that cause as much division and confusion within the church. This division and this confusion comes by all the false teaching and the shameless twisting of Scripture that happens as a result of this subject. It's sad because so many of us as believers do not know the place that miracles have in our lives. And as a result, we are fearful of embracing the great truth of miracles that the Lord shares in His Word. Not only the impact that the miracles can have on us as individuals, but also as us as a church. So at the time that I have left, and time is my enemy this morning, I want to look to the subject of miracles. Some years ago, a group, a group by the name of Mike and the Mechanics made a famous song popular entitled, All's I Need is a Miracle. Now that was a love song that they said, and they were sharing that the miracle was the love in their life. But as I began to think about that, isn't that the motto that we have, whether we're Christians or non-Christians this morning? All we need is a miracle. That all throughout our life we find ourselves searching after miracles. When we're on the job and a deadline is looming, or we're at a game and our team is losing with only two minutes left in the game, or at home with company coming at 7 o'clock and it's 6.45 and the house is in utter chaos, we cry out to the world and we announce, all I need is a miracle. But we say that tongue-in-cheek, at least I hope. But how about when things become more serious? How about when the money is not there and the bills keep piling up? How about when the relationship of your life has gone south? How about when the health of someone you love or even your own health has gone from bad to worse? How about when you are suffering the worst struggles in your life? And you cry out to God and say, God, I need a miracle. When you do that, the question I have this morning that I want to answer is in that moment of suffering, in that moment of disarray, are you honoring God by asking for that miracle? Are we to expect in the 21st century that God is doing similar things that He did in the 1st century? Those are the two questions I want to answer this morning on this subject of miracles. I'm going to be looking all throughout the Scriptures today. And if you can't keep up, don't try. Just write down the passages and we'll go from there. You can look them up at a later time for the sake of time. But I would ask you to look to your outlines. I want to look quickly at the first point this morning. When we want to understand this concept, this subject of miracles, the first thing we must understand is the possibility of miracles. The possibility. Now, before we can even answer that part of the question, we need to, first of all, define this term miracle. Now, the Scripture uses three words for the word that we have as miracle. The first word is samion. Uh, and what that literally means is a sign or an event with divine significance. This word samion is used 78 times in the New Testament. In John 20, 30 and 31, at the top of your outline, this is what it says. Jesus did many other miraculous signs, samion, signs, in the presence of His disciples. A second word that is used for this word miracle is the word teros, which means wonder. It's used 16 times in the New Testament. In John 4:48, it says, Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. This word teros gives us the picture of something that is unusual, something that is out of the ordinary, something that is amazing, something that is astonishing, teros. The final word that is used in the New Testament is the word dunamis, Dunamis is the Greek word for power. We get our word, English word dynamite from the term dunamis. And many times it's just used for regular power. But in many occasions we see in the New Testament that it is coupled with either the word semeon or teros. 
And in light of those two words come together, it means extraordinary power, miraculous power, awe-inspiring power. So when we take those three words together, we come up with a definition. And I want to give you a definition of miracle this morning. You can write this in your outline. A miracle can be defined as an uncommon kind, an uncommon kind of God's activity in which He arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to Himself. It's an uncommon kind of God's activity in which He arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to Himself. Throughout the history of Christianity, throughout the history of the written record of Scripture, we see that God has performed miracles. From the earliest days of the patriarchs to the time of the virgin birth, to the time of the bodily resurrection, to the acts of the apostles, even into the first and second century, we saw that the church was all about miracles. There's no Orthodox Christian, I will add, who could debate that miracles are not a part of the written history of Christianity. So you say, where does the debate arise? The question in the debate that arises between theologians and between people in churches is the question, do miracles happen today? Are they still available? I am here to tell you emphatically that I believe with all my heart that miracles are still possible today. They're still possible. Now you'd say, Tim, where do you come up with that stance? Where do you grab that? We've heard from many of our own teachers within our certain element of the evangelical movement that says, no, don't, don't look for miracles. They are not for what we will have today. I will share my theology behind it. Jeremiah 32:17 tells me why I believe in miracles. Oh, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Luke 1:37. Mary says, or in this discussion with Mary, it is said, for nothing is impossible with God. Matthew 19:26 Jesus looked at them and said, "With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible." Psalm 115:3 Our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. Romans 8:28 And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 31 and 32, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us, and how he will, will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? I believe in miracles because of Romans eleven thirty three through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to, the, to God that God should repay Him? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. I believe in miracles because I believe in a God-centered theology. Now you say, well, that's kind of, it sounds weird, a God-centered theology. Yes, I believe that God can do whatever He wants to do. Who am I to counsel God on what He can and cannot do? I can put theologies together and say, okay, God, I think you're going to act like this. And this is how you're going to do it. And now, because I think that you're going to do it this way, God, now you must do it that way. How presumptuous am I to think as a man that I can tell God, based on my big theology books, that I can come to an understanding that God will do how I think God should do something. Who am I to tell them that? Now, I could look at passages that talk about spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. Not each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, is given by, given by God for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that same one Spirit. 
and to other miraculous powers. Here the gifts. How about Galatians 3.5? Does, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you have heard? Now these two passages have great value and we could exegete these and I would come probably to the same understanding that I have this morning. But my basis for believing in present day miracles and healings is forged in my belief that God is an omnipotent, and if you don't know that word, our God is a big and powerful God. And He does what He pleases. And He who is so intimately involved in our life, who cares about us, who says that He will meet us in our times of battle, I believe that that God can do and will do whatever He wants or whatever He desires. That is my theology on the possibility of miracles. I don't want to put God in a box. I agree with Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones who said, what is needed in our day is some mighty demonstration of the power of God. Some action from Almighty God that will compel His people to pay attention so that they will look up and that they will open their ears and listen. What Martin Lloyd-Jones was asking God for was the miraculous. And as the teaching pastor of this church, that echoes in my heart this morning. That we would see miraculous things take place. With that, I want to introduce a friend of mine named Brock Royer. I'm going to ask Brock to come up. And Brock is going to share a testimony this morning that I want you to hear. Brock is near and dear to my heart, a friend for many years. And I'm going to let him talk because I know he is, he is such a talker. Especially in front of all these people. Look at them all. Okay, remember what I said. Okay. Underwear. Think everybody in their underwear. Okay? All right. Good morning. Uh, as Tim said, my name is Brock Royer, and I'm really nervous, so I apologize if I uh, screw up a little bit here. Um, my wife Katie and I have been attending Village Bible for a few years now, and God has always been a, a big part of my life. And Tim asked me to come up here and tell a quick story about some of the miracles that uh, the Lord has recently placed upon Katie and I. But uh, first let me tell you a little bit about myself and how I got standing up here talking to you. I grew up next to Tim. Uh, we grew up out in the country, and uh, there wasn't a whole lot of things to do, but him and I always kind of figured out something to get ourselves into. We played a lot of different games. Nobody can hear me? Is that better? Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Try to start over. <laughs> All right. All right, so uh, what I was saying is Tim and I grew up next to each other, and we got ourselves into quite a few different things and played a lot of ba games of baseball in the backyard and played video games and rode the bus together all the way through grade school. And uh, even at this young age, the Lord was surrounding me with people like the Bedall family and another good friend of mine, Andy Balgaman, who, uh, whose father was the pastor at the Lutheran church where I was baptized and confirmed. And... Another person who rode our bus back then was my wife, Katie. Well, she was my wife then, but uh, she, was, uh, she was a country girl, too, and she grew up about three miles down the road from us. Um, and it's really cool to think about how the Lord put us together, all of us at such a young age. Uh, her and I were always friends. We didn't see each other much after high school, as we were both really busy with college. But uh, after college, we met at a local gas station and started talking again. The rest is history. There's more than one amazing reason the Lord brought us together, and I'll get to some of those in, in a minute. Another major part of my life is, is whitewater kayaking. Uh, I'm a professional whitewater kayaker, and you're probably asking yourself, how can a professional whitewater kayaker live in Illinois? <laughs> I often ask myself the same question. <laughs> in fact, if we're not at church, I'd have to say 99% of the time on the weekends we're either out of the state or even out of the country. I do a lot of driving, and uh, thankfully, Village Bible has the CDs that either Keith mails to me or I get to pick up in the back so I uh, can listen to the sermons on these long drives and trips that, that we take. Uh, also, in South Bend, Indiana, there happens to be an Olympic whitewater course that, uh, that I get to go to and train at, and, and uh, it's not too far away, so that makes it easier. And the Lord just hasn't taken us from Illinois. He wants us here for a reason, and... We're happy here, so I guess for now we'll just continue traveling. Uh, one cool thing that I've done with my kayaking is, is I've been helping with a kayaking camp. Uh, it's a kayaking cancer camp out in Colorado. 
It's called First Descents. And uh, one of their mottos is, the joy is in the journey. And it's a camp for young adults to go to and escape and cope with dealing with cancer. Nature and water can be very therapeutic, and I've been helping with this camp over since its conception in 2001. It was a great way for me to combine two things that are very close to my heart, kayaking and cancer. I've had experience with cancer ever since I was young. Uh, at age 10, my, my grandmother passed away from colon cancer, and that was pretty hard on me at that age. Um, it was the first person that was close to me that had passed away, and I wasn't really sure what happened. I just know I didn't like cancer very much. Then at age 13, my brother was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, he was 19 at the time, and thankfully they caught it early enough, and only two surgeries were needed um, for them to be able to get rid of it. So the kayaking camp, cancer camp made sense for me to help with. After my first two years counseling at First Descents, the Lord decided it was time for me to marry an oncology nurse. Katie deals with cancer every day and taught me and helped me very much with the camp and helped me understand more things about cancer. The spring after Katie and I got engaged, I felt a lump. It was cancer. How ironic. The Lord decided to give me cancer. It was, it's, it's devastating news for most people, and as crazy as, so, as it sounds, I laughed when I first got the news. It was just too much for me. I, I wondered what the, Lord, what the Lord had in store for me, and I, but I never really felt too scared. My faith gave me comfort. I was only 25 years old at the time. A good example of how I felt reminds me of a sermon Tim gave a few months ago. We're in John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not let your heart be troubled. And that really struck a chord with me. Although I didn't understand at the time why the Lord wanted me to deal with the cancer, I didn't need to. I knew in my heart that there's a reason for this. I was either going to die or be changed forever. I had one surgery to remove the tumor and a month and a half worth of treatments that made me throw up almost every day. I went from being in the best shape of my life to the worst. It was, it was a miserable time. Uh, then less than a month later, I had to undergo another surgery to repair two hernias that I had gotten um, from the treatments. Oh, sorry. Um, it's only been a year and a half, and I still don't feel 100% physically. However, as odd as it sounds, cancer is the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> Through my suffering, I learned a lot about my friends and family and how amazing they are. I'm having a hard time. <laughs> All right. All right, I help me talk with a lot of the, and have conversation with campers at first distance. I actually know what they went through. It is amazing for me to be able to connect with them now. Uh, God did so many things for me. Between bringing me to an oncology nurse just before I got sick, having a brother who could help me out, and giving me paddling that helped me as much as any medicine ever could, along with first descents to camp itself for being a support group for me. He also gave me friends like Mark Hattendorf, who I affectionately call Montana Mark, uh, who is a really good paddling friend of mine who would take me on kayaking trips to get me away from the pain and he'd often pray with me during the hard times. Mark is also a preacher at his church. Did I mention how amazing my wife is too? <laughs> I owe her a lot. She, uh, I felt bad that she was engaged to marry a man who might not be able to have kids. You see, at the time, I didn't know if I could have kids. The type of cancer I had was testicular cancer. She confronted me by saying, if God doesn't want you to have kids, then he doesn't want me to have kids either. We could always adopt. Or who knows what the Lord has in store for us. So I told you only a tiny tip of the iceberg what God has done for me so far. And there have been countless things that have blown me away at the time. I didn't even realize there was anything to it. Last summer, the camp of at First Descents, we had a great camp. It was just 
I just had a checkup one month prior to going to the camp, and everything came back clear. One short week after the camp, we found out the next step the Lord had in store for us. Katie was pregnant. What a miracle. <laughs> the emotions that rolled through me are so amazing. Thinking back at all these things that happened, and now we're blessed with a child on the way. It's going to be a girl, too, by the way. <laughs> I'm so excited, I can't wait to someday be able to share with my daughter the miracle about how the Lord wanted her to be brought into this world. And uh, th that's pretty much it. Just thank you for letting me share the story, and God bless. sure you stop and meet Brock and Katie. What a great, great couple. They've been with us for a couple of years now, and uh, we had a great time uh, getting to know them. I would have never thought playing baseball with them, doing all those things, that I would be blessed to be able to marry two of the greatest people I know about a year ago. So thank you, Brock, for that. I believe in the possibility of miracles, and I hope that you do as well. But I want to get beyond that as well, and I want to look at a second thing, and that is the purpose of miracles, the purpose of miracles. There are uh, five purposes that I see in my study of the scriptures that declare why miracles take place in that time and what I believe they should take place this morning. We see that miracles were used, first of all, to authenticate the gospel, to authenticate the gospel. In Jesus talking with Nicodemus, Nicodemus shares with Jesus that he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. The questions we should ask is, Nicodemus, how do you know that? How do you know that Jesus comes from God? Nicodemus gives us the answer in verse 2 of John 3. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. The validity of the gospel was confirmed by signs and wonders in Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. This salvation which was announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God has also testified to it by signs wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Now we must understand that miracles are a validation of the gospel, but they are not in themselves the gospel. In fact, Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23 that Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. John 6 tells us that after Jesus has fed the 5,000, that many who were a part of that miracle would walk away from God. Miracles do not heal, or do not uh, bring eternal life. Only the gospel can. Miracles are a sign of salvation, a picture of the power of salvation, but it is the cross. In 1 Corinthians 1.18 it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. The message of the cross, the gospel, is the power of God. Next we see that miracles assist those in need. It assists those in need. We see throughout the New Testament that people were healed from many affirmities all throughout. In Acts 5, 15, through 16, 15 and 16, it says, As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from their towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. It takes care of those who are in need. Next, it proves God's present activity. It proves God's present activity. What that means is God is still at work, that the kingdom agenda of God is happening today. This is what Jesus said to the twelve when He sends them out for the first time in Matthew 10, 7 and 8. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons. Why do those things, we must ask? Because we want to prove the validity that the kingdom of God is active 
in the here and now. Next, we see the purpose of achieving God's glory. In John 9, we, t- we learn about the story of the man born blind, and a theological debate comes out. Who sinned that caused this man blindness? Was it the parents or was it the child? And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned in verse 3. But this has happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Can I give you a quick thing? Whatever you may be struggling with today, that you have cried out to God that you need a miracle, I will tell you that one of the reasons why you may be suffering as you are is so the one reason that sometime later in your life God can produce a miracle in you that might be displayed for all of God's glory to be seen. Why did Brock have cancer? I believe with all my heart that it wasn't that God didn't love Brock, but it was that God's glory may be seen in Brock's life. That Brock would be able to come and share to a group of 400 people that God still does do miracles. That God would receive glory in that. Finally, miracles, the purpose of miracles is to address certain hindrances to the ministry. To address certain hindrances to a ministry. Now some may not make this out to be a miracle. I would say that according to the definition that I have, I would say that it is. We had a hindrance to this ministry. The hindrance that we had was the property. We could not build anymore in the way the property was built for Village Bible Church. We were growing. We were bursting at the seams. And the biggest problem we had was underground utilities. It would cost way too much money. Nothing that we would be able to ever pay for to be able to accomplish bringing sewer and water to our property. So we prayed. If you were here a couple years ago, the elders came and said, we've got to figure out a way to do that. And we tried to come up with creative solution after one, after another. And none of them worked out. And we sat there and said, God, are you moving us from this site? And he would keep saying, no, you stay right here on Route 47 where I planted you 36 years ago. You stay. We said, well, God, you've got to do something. What are we going to do? One day, Carol was in the office and a group of men from Fox Metro came. And they said, oh, we'd like to talk with some of the people on your board. Wabansi Community College needs to hook up to sewer and water. And you are the only property on 47 that we can go through to get that sewer and water to them. And if you do that, we will put in your sewer and water for free. I don't know, but that looks like a hindrance to ministry alleviated. Is that the same thing maybe we see in the Gospels? No, I didn't see the Church of Acts having sewer and water issues. But I would define that as a miracle. God took care of a hindrance so that now we've knocked down our building. In the next couple of weeks, you will see another building arising so we can do greater ministry for God. That's the purpose of miracles. He used that in our own church, not only just to say, yeah, go ahead and build, but to affirm the building. And we've had affirmations along the way. See, once we understand the purpose of miracles, then you say, all right, I'm understanding, Tim, that miracles can happen, and here's the purpose in which they happen for. But then we've got to look at something else, and that is the problems. The problems with what I'd like to call so-called miracles. You would say, yeah, of course I believe in miracles. Well, there are some of my friends, dear friends here and throughout Christian, the Christian world, men that I think the world of in their theological understanding, who would say that miracles don't happen today, and the reason why is because of what they see going on in our world. Do I believe that there are present-day miracles? Yes. But do I believe that everything that is called a miracle is in fact a miracle? No. I want to make that abundantly clear. We have a world where healers fill our airwaves and our TV screens, and they show hundreds and hundreds of people being healed and being uh, delivered from different spirits and all kinds of miracles taking place. But I will tell you, these ministries produce many questions in my head. And I know that many of you question the place of modern-day faith healers, and I would say, and rightly so. I know that there are many here today that come from a Roman Catholic background, And if you know your Roman Catholicism well, you know that you cannot be a saint unless you've performed a miracle. And of course, there are many miracles that are attested to in the Roman Catholic Church. You go to this shrine or you touch this relic and you will be healed. You will be able to see a miracle. There are people who go to cities all around the world where Mary has been sighted or Jesus has been sighted. And people flock there and they say miracles have taken place. Tim, what do we do with those things? We ask questions. We ask questions about them. 
Just because we believe in miracles doesn't, believe, doesn't mean that we believe that everything is a miracle. But we must be like the Bereans in the book of Acts who asks questions and who test everything with Scripture. So how do we do that? Well, first, we must remember that we must be careful not to fall prey to miracles, first of all, that deceive. Miracles that deceive. Not all miracles find their source from God in heaven. Not all people who perform miracles are even Christians. Matthew 7, verses 21 and 22 say this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons which would be a form of a miracle by what theologians say, and then say, and perform many miracles. If you know the Scripture, Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Just because you perform miracles, even because you drive out demons, means nothing if you've not trusted your, your life to Jesus Christ. Scripture is clear that miracles can be duplicated by people. Evil people. If the Cubs were to win the World Series, that would be a godly miracle. We saw a miracle duplicated a year ago that was not so good and godly. It was one of those south side demons that duplicated the miracle. I need to move on. That's where I'm going to get in trouble. But we see evil people, people that have no desire to follow Christ doing miracles. In the book of Exodus, we see Janus and Jambres. What do they do? Moses comes in and he says, Mo, Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go. Mo, Pharaoh says, why? He says, let me show you who sent me. And he throws down his rod and it becomes a serpent. Pharaoh says, hey, that's pretty cool. Hey, Janus, Jambres, come here. Can you do the same thing? Boom, do the same thing. They were able to perform a miraculous sign. How about Simon the sorcerer in Acts 8? who was able to woo the crowd through his magical power, people began to think that he had miraculous abilities. How about the Antichrist who will come at a later date? In 2 Thessalonians 2.9 it says this, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. Listen to what he will do. Displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. Let us never fall prey to the idea that miracles validate, if you will, someone's belief in God. No matter how great it looks. Remember, 2 Corinthians 11.14 says, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Miracles can be used by the evil one to deceive us. But not only should we be worried about those that deceive, but we should also be worried about miracles that are done on demand. Miracles that are done on demand. This is my concern with faith healers of our day, many of those that, that air on our television. I've spent many hours watching thousands of people be slapped around, knocked down, pushed over, blown over, waved upon with a hanky, and many have walked away saying they've been healed. Now, I cannot, and I will address this, I cannot judge every single thing that those men or women do. But I must ask a question. If the apostles did not have miraculous powers on demand, then why would we think we would? Now let me address that for a moment. In 1 Corinthians 12:9, it says this, To another faith, he's speaking of spiritual gifts, by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit. Now in the area of healing, most theologians will address that the, the Greek grammar in this are two plurals. The gifts of healings. The gifts of healings. And what that means is that not one individual per se is given the gift of healing. Now, does that mean that I can't have more than one miracle happen or one healing happen through my hands? I, I believe that can happen. But I believe each one of those healings is done by a specific gift or grace given by God Himself. It's particular. It's individual. But we also see that he didn't, the apostles did not have the ability to heal at all times. Let's look at the life of Paul for a moment. Paul was able to deliver demons and heal those, or deliver demons out of people, heal those who were crippled. He was able even to raise Eutychus from the dead. If you don't know who Eutychus is, Eutychus was a young chap who fell asleep during one of Paul's long sermons that went on well into the evening. 
Eutychus is hanging out, sitting in a, in a window, trying to get some fresh air to stay awake. I can see Eutychus slapping himself. Man, Paul's only in his third point. Come on, Paul. Let's get it over with. Falls asleep, falls out of a window, and dies. I can tell you something. You fall asleep during one of my messages and die, I ain't healing you. That's why Paul is full of grace. He says, all right, you fell asleep, young guy, come here. Let me raise you from the dead. And that's what he did. So if Paul was able to do that, and if he had this gift of healing and able to raise people from the dead, why is it that when we look to scriptures that say where there were illnesses and struggles in Paul's life, he's not able to heal? Epaphroditus in Philippians 2, 26 and 27. comes and he has stomach ailments. And what does Paul say to Timothy? Drink some wine. That doesn't sound like a guy who can heal. Go get something in your tummy that will make you feel better. How about when Paul was even struggling with the thorn in the flesh? Why didn't he just take care of it? Because I believe by the sovereign grace of God that he chooses when miracles will happen. Be free, wheeling healers. Staking, pulling, and zapping people left and right, saying that we have the healing power of God. That's my struggle with the healers of this day. It just seems too maverick. Now, I cannot judge the hearts of people. I can judge their theology, and there's a lot of theology I don't like as well. But I don't like just the maverick way of healings and miracles taking place. I don't like it. But how are we to uh, understand a true miracle from a false one? Three things. When you see a miracle happen, when you see a healing take place, three questions must come to mind. First of all, you need to check the facts. Check the facts. What I mean by that is investigate. Don't just say, okay, a miracle took place. That sounds great. Yet a miracle happened. No, ask the questions. Was it really a miracle? Was there healing that really took place? Was it true healing? Was there a disease or some sort of ailment that happened before that and that it was gone after the healing took place? Next, check the focus. Check the focus. Again, this is my struggle with a lot of the TV guys is that I don't see people being drawn to Jesus Christ. I see people being drawn to rich and lavish ministries and personalities. Now, it's not for all that are on television, but for a good part of it, they are that way. Does a miracle, does a healing that takes place give God all the glory, not the healer? I never see in the Scriptures where people would bow down and worship Peter, John, Paul, James, and those apostles but they always give glory to God. Finally, check the fruit. After the healing has taken place, are people drawn to Christ? When we see the Scriptures and healings taking place, it says, after healings took place, many received Christ. So what do we do when miracles happen? I want to add one more element to that, and that's number four, and that's the parameters. The parameters in which miracles happen. Now, I want to sit on this for a moment, but I want to go to a text. So turn in your Bibles. I know it's in your outline, but turn in your Bibles to John 20 for a moment. John 20, verse 30 and 31. If we believe in modern-day miracles, there's got to be parameters by which they happen. And if I'm saying that certain parameters don't fit, what parameters do fit? How do you put it together? Well, I believe it's found in John 20, 30 and 31. This is what it says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in Him and in His name. Within the context of this word that is given by Jesus, we are given three things that we are addressed with the parameters that miracles must have. First of all, write this down, miracles are not for self but for the Savior. They're for the Savior. Why does God allow miracles? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Miracles are not about us. Understand that. They're not about us. They're about God. They're about Jesus Christ, that He would be raised up high and exalted. It's not about us. It's about Him. That we would believe. Believe in what? That Jesus is the Christ. 
Never forget this statement. In fact, write it down in your outlines. True faith, true faith must go beyond miracles. True faith must go beyond miracles and get to Jesus. If a miracle doesn't bring you to Jesus, then something's wrong. If it's puffing you up, if it's puffing your church up, if it's making you think that you're greater than someone else, then it ain't the reason why that miracle happened. Next, we need to understand and articulate that miracles happen in the parameters we see that God is the master of miracles. He's the master of miracles. Don't ever forget the source of the miracle. What does it say? Jesus did many other miraculous signs. He does them. We don't. It is always Christ. Remember the Great Commission? It says that all power and authority has been given under heaven to me. So what? So that I may send you out. So when we go out and do the Great Commission and God uses us in some great and powerful and profound way, it isn't about you. It isn't about me. Here I am. I'm doing the Great Commission in my life, preaching the gospel. People come up and say, wow, great message. If I say, oh, thank you, I do a great job, don't I? I have missed out on the Great Commission. But if I say it's all the authority and power that God has in Christ and He's using it through me, then everything is okay. It's all about God. He is the Master. He chooses when and whom He will heal. Finally, we must always remember that miracles are a witness to the Word. Listen to what it says. But these are written that you may believe. They're written. Well, you and I are not personally a part of the miracles that happened in the Scriptures. They should deeply impact us as believers. Why? Because if we hope in this Word, if we say we believe in this Word, what do we have, the base, have our basis of? There's a lot of great books out there in the world. But these were written that we might believe. The miracles testify to the Word of God. The apostles weren't just some crazy guys, but they were men appointed by God, validated through signs and wonders. It's through the Word. Remember that it's just as God was with Moses, He said He would be with Joshua. And the Word tells us just as God is with the apostles, God is with us today because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and all God's people said, forever. He's the same. He's doing many of the same things. He's at work. I read numerous reports of what I would consider conservative Christians, people that say, well, I'm not sure what to make of this. But in faraway lands, we are hearing reports of God doing great things. Why? I believe it's a validation of His Word and the power of the Gospel coming through, breaking through darkness, where we're hearing of people being delivered from demons, people being healed. And these are some of our own missionaries who go out from churches like us who are seeing these miraculous things take place. Read publications like The Voice of Martyrs. Read missionary reports of what is going on and you will hear great stories. I read from Christianity Today, great stories of the nation of Nepal. That 40% of all the people, I don't know if it's Nepalese or how you would say it, uh, people are coming to know Christ through the form of one miracle or another. And this is from a conservative theological missions organization that is sharing these thoughts. God is still in motion. Don't ever forget that. Well, what are we to do with this? What is our application this morning? The application is simple. Believe in a God who does miracles. I know that that assertion might seem maverick to some of you but I believe it's the truth of God. Sadly, in our churches, many evangelical churches like our own, we get nervous about what we see our friends and family and brothers and sisters in the Pentecostal and the charismatic movement doing. We get nervous. So what do we do? We say, well, we're not all for all that crazy stuff. So we swing the pendulum the other way. And what we do, and I will assert this, we make God into some rationalistic, deistic God. What does a deist believe? A deist believes in God. But Deus believes that God somewhere long ago kind of put us in motion, if you will, like a toy soldier, winds us up and then lets us go and he goes back and hangs out by himself and he leaves you to your own vices. And I believe that's what we do in our own churches. Why? Because we say, well, God can't come through for me in this time of need. 
Well, I'll pray for a miracle, but do I really expect a miracle? I'll pray for healing, but do I really expect that God might miraculously heal me? Think about what our prayer times would be like if we really believed that God would do a miracle. It would be different. But what do we say? Well, God, we know that you say you're able to do immeasurably more than what we could ask or think, but I've only seen on the menu that you can do these things. So you know what? I know it says immeasurably more than I could ever ask for or think. One of the commentaries I read says that we haven't even been given all the display of what God can do. That's what it's saying. That we don't even know what God's got on his repertoire, what he can do in our lives. That it's beyond what we can imagine or think. God is doing miracles. So how do we apply this? There's a preparation. The preparation that is required for a miracle. Now please do not miss out on what I'm saying here. I am not saying that we do one, two, three, four, and five, and a miracle will come. But what I'm saying is, is if you ask for a miracle, and the purposes of the miracle are what are listed in the Scriptures, what I've shared with you in my second point, then I believe you are God-honoring and asking for whatever miracle that you have according to God's will. If the purpose is to glorify God, if the purpose to assist those in need, if the purpose is to uh, allow a hindrance of a ministry to be broken through, then I say you pray for a miracle like never before. But how do you do it? There's four things I want to quickly highlight and we're going to close. First of all, if you want a miracle to take place in your church or in your life, first of all, commit yourself to a life of obedience and prayer. To a life of obedience and prayer. We see a lot of miracles happen in the book of Acts. Why? I believe one of the reasons why is found in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And what does it say? And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. You want to see miracles happen in your life? Get close to God. He's the one that's doing them. So you want to see Him? Get close to Him through prayer and obedience in the Word. Next, have confidence in Christ. Believe that Christ is able to do what He says He can do. Believe that He can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask for or imagine. In Acts 4.29 it says, after the disciples are having difficulty in sharing the Gospel, they find out persecution is coming. This is what they pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable Your servants to speak Your Word with great boldness. What they're saying is, is Jesus... We know that there's a lot of issues, a lot of people that are going to come after us if we proclaim your name. So what do we do? We know that you're bigger than them. Listen to their threats. Listen to their uh, crazy words that they have and saying that they are going to destroy us and take them. And Lord, we have confidence that you will get us through them. So let us speak with boldness. Do you have confidence that if you proclaim Christ in your workplace or in your school or in your office building, wherever it may be, do you really truly believe that God is going to come through for you? They did. And as a result of that confidence in their great God, God performed miracles in their sight. Finally, it says that we need to call out to Christ. Look at, listen to verse 30. This is what they prayed. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant. Jesus. You say, Tim, I know we shouldn't ask for miracles. I'd say, well, then I can't do what they were doing. You're going to tell me the clock is different, that Acts 4 doesn't apply to me? All Scripture is profitable. It is to be used. They ask God for a miracle. And I think it is a God thing that we as elder board are asking for a miracle as well. Open your, bio, open your outlines, or, um, outlines, your bulletins for a moment. And I want you to pull out the insert that has uh, some information about the Weta family. The elders are calling the church to a week of prayer. Now, I don't know if you've heard about Susan's condition, but it ain't getting any better. In fact, it's getting worse. She's down to about 100 pounds. She's not able to eat. She's receiving um, nutrition through an IV. Things have gotten very bad for Jeff and Susan. And they're crying out for God for a miracle. And the elders want to join with that. And we want to go before the Lord as a church asking God for nothing more than a miracle. That's what we're asking for. Now that may put some pause in some of your thinking, but that's what I see in Acts 4. 
They called out to God in confidence. Can God take care of it? Yes. So we need to call out. Rally behind this family. Do it. Not so that we will raise up the weight of family and say how great and godly they are and that miracles happen in their family, but that God would receive the glory to raise up a sister in Christ who is dying with pain. That God would alleviate that for her. Finally, my last thing is that we need to celebrate. We need to celebrate at all times. What do I mean by that? If we believe in miracles, and we know that in Scripture miracles don't always happen, our attitude should be very clear, and that is that we should celebrate at all times. Why? Even if you're asking for a miracle today, even after we pray and pray and pray, asking God for a miracle in Susan Wade's life, and it does not happen, we should not get down and say, well, God is against us. We should not get down and say, well, we didn't do something right. What we should do is we should celebrate. Why? Because even though Susan's life may be temporarily uh, struggles and beyond belief in pain, we know that Susan is a child of God. And that those, these light and momentary trials, even though we see them as one of the hardest things we will ever face, are mere temporary things that we will face until we see Jesus Christ face to face. Celebrate. Celebrate in the fact that we do have a God that loves us. Celebrate in the fact that we do have a God who came and saved us from our sin. That one day we won't need miracles anymore because we will look at Jesus Christ face to face. And there will be no need of miracles because there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more illness, no more troubles. And at that day, when Jesus comes, miracles once and for all will be done. But until then, we pray earnestly that God of the impossible will be our God. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we close our time this morning. And Father, I pray that we would believe that you can do the impossible. Lord, I know this is a challenge to some in our congregation. And Lord, I do not single them out as a way to show their lack of faith. But Father, I pray that in your own spirit you would confirm this teaching as it has in mine. Father, for years growing up, I didn't think God could do miracles. I didn't think you could. I thought it only happened in certain parts of time. But Lord, I thank you for your word in declaring that miracles are possible today. And Lord, as we open up these scriptures in John, when we look at the seven miracles of Christ, I pray that they would come to a new understanding in our hearts and our minds. That we would not look at them as singular experiences in the past, but we'd begin to apply them to our own lives. Lord, we want you to receive glory. We want you to receive honor in whatever way you will that that happen whether it be through the obedience of your people, whether it be through the uh, worship of your people, or whether it be through miraculous signs and wonders. We do not want to get into the way of your glory. So Lord, open our eyes and open our hearts that you are a God on the move, that you are living and active just as your word is, cutting through the lives of sin and the lives of questions and skeptics, and you're cutting through the core of who we are. We invite that kind of pruning to happen in our lives this morning. And Lord, we ask that you would be the God of the impossible as you are. And that we would see it in many different ways in the many days and years to come. So that you would receive glory through this church. And all God's people said, Amen.